Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris. I'm a filmmaker, comedian, world traveler. That that one is you've you've been lying to us in the last several episodes, but that one's true. So I, I like to travel a bit. You've traveled a little in the world. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been to places outside of the world. Right. So, so there you go. Technically, it counts. Yeah. Yeah. So in this uh, season of Awesome Movie Year, we're talking about the movies of 2007. And speaking of world traveling, in this episode, we are looking at our foreign film pick, which is the animated film Persepolis, co-directed by Marjan Satrapi and Vincent Perrineau, based on the graphic novels by Marjan Satrapi about her experience growing up in Iran in a very tumultuous period of time. Yep. Also uh, co-production between French and Iranian companies. So we have a little, little uh, collab going on there. She also lived in France and uh, Austria and we see parts of that in the film. Yeah. This movie is in French and it was uh, actually submitted as the best foreign language film Oscar submission from France, although it did not get a nomination. And uh, yeah, it's, it's in French with a lot of well-known French actors, including Catherine Deneuve, doing voices uh, in this animated Yes, movie. and, and uh, Catherine Deneuve and her daughter. Yes, Chiara Mastriani, who is the voice of... Marjan. The, uh, Marjan, yeah, the yeah. teenage and adult Marjan, right. not the child. Um, yeah, this movie was a big success for an animated black and white movie about Ar- Iran. It made $22.8 million in the box, at the box office worldwide. Uh, it had premiered at the 2007 Cannes Film Festival, where it was the co-winner of the jury prize. It uh, did not, as I said, get nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, but it did get nominated for Best Animated Feature. However, it lost to Ratatouille. Um, and it uh, was incredibly well-reviewed. It had a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And for me, I did not actually see this in 2007, but I was looking up in my 2008 list of my favorite movies that I had seen that year from previous years. I put it at number three. Of course, the most prestigious honor it received. (laughs) What beat it? Oh, God, I don't remember now. Oh, dang. No, I mean, older movies. You know, it's just movies from any other year that I first saw that year. I had never seen it until we watched it in preparation for this podcast. Do you remember hearing about it or being aware of it when it came out? I don't really, no. So that's great. <laughs> I'm a world traveler who has no knowledge of no the world. No knowledge of the world. I was looking up, I actually, uh, I paid to see this movie in the theater when it came out. It did not, uh, they didn't have an advanced press screening or anything, but I was personally really excited about it, possibly because I'm more of a comic book person. It's based on Marjan Satrapi's graphic novels. And so I'm maybe more aware than you are about offbeat comic book based movies. And because I'd heard so many good things, I went to see it in the theater. And obviously, uh, I liked it very much. Okay, and, Josh, you don't have to brag about it. No, anymore. I'm just saying that that that's uh, it makes sense that you would have been less uh, into it or less aware of, of this kind of movie. We Josh Bell world traveler. Yeah, I am not. A, so, <laughs> you're so culture, Josh. No, I don't travel the world at all. I only travel the world via the movies. Uh, so excuse me while I spit my tobacco out in this spittoon over here. Cause I'm just the dumb idiot who doesn't know anything. I don't know how that all relates. <laughs> and I also did not say that. <laughs> subtext. Josh. So yeah, subtext. That's what we're all about here at awesome movie year. Um, <laughs> This was a very well-reviewed movie. Like I said, it had 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Roger Ebert said, uh, Satrapi, now living in Paris, told her life story in two graphic novels, which became bestsellers and have now been made into this wondrous animated film. The animation is mostly in black and white with infinite shades of gray and a few guest appearances here and there by colors. The style is deliberately two-dimensional, avoiding the illusion of depth in current animation. This approach may sound Spartan, but it is surprisingly involving, wrapping us in this autobiography that distills an epoch into a young woman's life. And it's definitely a contrast. You talk about Ratatouille having won the Oscar. These movies could not look more different. Yeah, did you, what do you feel about Ratatouille? I mean, I like Ratatouille. I probably mm. like, I haven't seen it since 2007, I'm sure. And I think I like this movie more. It would have been exciting to see it win an Oscar. I mean, Pixar doesn't need more Oscars. Yeah, now they don't, but in 2007, they were they hungry sure for did. Oscars. They, they sure didn't have did. enough yet. Um, no, I, I love Ratatouille, but um, this was, this is a very different style of animation. And I think, like you said, it's trying to be true to the book. And also, um, it, it really works for the story here. Yeah, I think the, the style and the content match each other so, so, so well in this movie. Um, Dana Stevens in Slate said, The pleasingly simple hand-drawn characters and flat, often abstractly patterned backgrounds show the influence of everything from Charles Schultz to German Expressionism to Persian miniature painting to shadow puppetry. But the resulting mood is never cerebral or self-consciously postmodern. The story of Margen's coming of age has the emotional directness, a cynic might call it sentimentality, of a classic of adolescent literature, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn or The Catcher in the Rye. Hey, Schultz. I got something to say to no, you, Schultz. Stevens. Well, who's Schultz? Though? Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts. That's, why, that's who I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, but, uh, but no, Stevens, who wrote about Schultz. Yes, yeah, hey, yeah. hey, Stevens, who yeah. wrote about Schultz. I have no idea how you're getting, other than the fact that it's flat animation, that you can reference Charles Schultz here. Really? Because I, really? I, I absolutely thought of that as we were watching this movie. Really? You, yes. you were thinking it's a great pumpkin Charlie Brown while you're I'm, watching I'm not this? Like, I mean, but I think visually, especially in the segments where Marjan is a child, the way the facial expressions are and the like wide grins that the characters have really reminded me of Peanuts cartoons. The only time I got it was when Marjan was talking to her teacher and her teacher said, wah, 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 yeah. wah, 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 wah. That, that didn't that happen, did not happen in this movie. Boom. Yeah, no, no I, I, I agree with that comparison. I, um, did, I didn't see it at all. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, Lisa, Schwar Lisa Schwartzbaum in Entertainment Weekly said, the sassy, nonchalant juxtaposition of political and personal specificity in Persepolis is a marvel. So too is the ingenuity and fluidity with which Satrapi and her cartooning co-director, Vincent Perrineau, bring her book pages to life. Satrapi doesn't shy from the violent shocks that tore her home country apart, but neither does she settle for generalizations or prescriptive conclusions. And yeah, one of the things I like about this movie so much is that Obviously, it's about this important historical period and, and serious political stuff, but it is a coming of age story. And that's really right. what it keeps its focus. Yeah, on. it's the slice of life in a war torn area. And I, I agree with you. I think that's part of the strength. If this had just been about the war, it wouldn't have been nearly as effective. Right. No. And apparently uh, the producers initially were trying hard to convince uh, Marjan Satrapi to make this a live action film. Yeah. And she stuck to her guns and said, no, it has to be an animated film. And I think that was absolutely the right choice. It's, it captures so much that way that wouldn't be captured in a live action film. Yeah. And part of that is that we see so many live action war films and we don't see many animated war films. So the effects are, um, are uh, amplified in that way. Yeah. And it can have this sort of dreamlike uh, quality to it, almost fantasy elements where in an 
a live action movie, I think that would constantly take you out of the story in an animation. We expected a lot more. Did you find any negative reviews on it? I know it's 96%. Uh, I mean, I didn't honestly go looking for the negative reviews. If it's 96%, there must be a few, but I did not look them up uh, because this was a movie that was so universally acclaimed. Well, this must be very embarrassing for you in front of all of our listeners. No, I mean, I'm not denying that there are any, but uh, the majority, I mean, all pretty much all of the major reviewers uh, were positive on it. So um, I'm guessing maybe you have some criticisms and we can talk about those in a moment. Well, I mean, no, I, I yeah, we can. I, I don't have that many. I like the movie, but uh, uh, you know, you know who did give it negative reviews was Iran. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Certain governments around the world, yeah. Thailand, Iran, places like that. Yeah, that's true. It was uh uh, censored or not allowed to be shown in certain countries uh, when it came out, which is not at all surprising. I like no. the idea of a fake film critic that's really just those governments that bring down the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> you, you joke, but I could see that happening. Or a government-sponsored film critic. Yeah. yeah, that's like a government post where <laughs> to get a movie played, this critic has to, in that country, the critic has to approve of it. Yeah. That's kind of a thing, right? Well, I mean, there's there's approval boards. They're not like, film critics per se, but certainly, I mean, even in Iran, obviously there's a, there's a, a government body that has to decide whether a movie can be shown or not be shown. Um, yeah. And this movie. You've been that. to Iran? I have not. Cause I am not a world traveler. <laughs> Neither I, have you though. No, I have not. No, no, but we've been to Iran via this movie. <laughs> and we'll talk more about that in our general thoughts on Persepolis in just a moment. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our 2007 season, we're talking about our foreign film pick, Marjan Satrapi and Vincent Perrineau's animated film, Persepolis. And I love this movie. I get the impression that maybe, Jason, that you didn't feel quite as strongly about it, but I think it's a very good movie. Yeah, I like the movie. Um, I would recommend people watch it, but I didn't love it. I thought it was a good movie. Um, you know, as we talked about, it's based on the graphic novels. And it does kind of have that feel of like um, the everyday, you know, mundane situation sometimes. So there are times where you're like, is this going to ramp up anymore? Is this going anywhere? And it's just kind of like, just kind of meanders on throughout the the course of the film. And and that's okay. But uh, you could see how um, that is also something you can tune out a little. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, that's, I think, one of the things that I liked about it so much is that it doesn't, quote, go anywhere, that this is a story about, again, a very, very tumultuous period, a very dangerous period. I mean, a time of revolution and war, and the character of Marjan is theoretically in danger of being hurt or killed or arrested at all sorts of times. And yet this movie really focuses on her emotional development, on her personal life, whatever we learn about the politics of Iran is always seen through the lens of her personal experience, whether that's her relatives, you know, her uncles who get arrested or imprisoned or the struggle for her family to maintain its place in society, her struggles to get uh, a visa or just the way that she has to hide things like the music that she listens to and the romantic relationships that she has. Uh, I mean, I felt like this really it gives you a better sense of history in a way because you can identify with her as a person as opposed to like a documentary about the Iranian revolution that is something that for me, I would tune out. I think that's fair. But if you're, you know, if I was going to point out perhaps a weakness, those romantic uh, dalliances that she has, they kind of gloss over 
all of them it's like then i met this guy and then this failed because x y or z yeah and that's the whole that's it there's not like a great love story and that's okay no, i mean that's how life is a lot of times right. I think. but i just feel like they're just like in there and then they're out of there and i don't know how much they serve to uh heighten anything in the film yeah, I mean, they're definitely not great romances. I agree with you there. But I felt like that was sort of the point is that she wasn't able to have something like that. And maybe she she yearned for it. And she thought that something like that could be her escape. I mean, we see the guy that she marries and she decides this is it. This is how I'm going to get out of here is we're, we're kind of a team. And then he turns into this lazy, no good schlub. Right, exactly. And so I like that. And there's a great sequence in the movie where she talks about when she's living in Vienna as a teenager and she is dating this guy and he's so amazing and he treats her so well and he's this brilliant writer. And then she catches him cheating on her. And we flash back to all those things that she was describing before. And we see now that he's not considerate and he's not talented and and that's i think something you can do really well in animation is show that yeah. contrast without it looking ridiculous i thought that was really good i mean that's uh you know if i was going to think of anything to compare that to the reality versus expectation sequence in 500 days yeah. of summer yeah really does that effectively but yes you're right on that one that that is good good counterpoint josh thank you um but i mean i i do agree with you that that's not an element that's really uh, strong in this movie. I think it, that's kind of the point, but you don't, maybe you don't get as much of her relationships with, with people like that. I mean, also with her friends, there's one scene where uh, she, you know, as she first goes to Vienna and she falls in with this certain crowd and these are her friends and we get to know them a little bit. And then a few scenes later, she just says, Oh, and then they all moved away. Right. And we kind of are like, okay, I guess those people are not important. I guess uh, part of that, like um, what she says also is that you know they never really appreciated the freedom that they had because yeah. they never knew anything besides it whereas obviously a child of the iranian revolution uh would would appreciate it because of all the persecution in that country um i was going to ask you because you've read both persepolis one and two do you find out anything more about um her romantic life in the second one? I, I mean, not that I recall. It's been a while since I read them. I mean, I think I read them fairly soon after seeing the movie because I liked the movie so much and I wanted to read the source material. I mean, there is more, certainly more detail uh, in the books just because they have more space. Um, but I think it's really focused like this movie is on her relationship with her family. I mean, that's the key relationship here. Those are the best parts, the stuff with the grandma and the stuff with the uncles who are getting out of jail. And her parents, who clearly love her and know they have to, like, send her away just so she can not be killed, perhaps. Crazy, crazy, crazy world, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a one very heartbreaking scene where, where she's leaving the second time uh, to go move to France after she's lived in Vienna and gone to school in Vienna. And then she comes back to Iran and clearly things are not good there. And she decides to leave again. And as she's at the airport, the mother says, never come back. And that's an awful thing, I'm sure, to have to tell your daughter to like, like you said, to keep her safe, you'd have to tell her, don't, we, we never want to see you again. Right. And you wonder like, uh, did the parents ever get to see her again? Which you don't, which you don't find. Right. The movie the doesn't tell you. I mean, it ends, you know, spoiler or whatever. It ends as she is arriving in France and is not, is uncertain about what her life will entail going forward. Yeah. There's another, um, really difficult scene where, um, that's very effective where, her uncle Anoush, who was a political dissident, finally gets out of jail 
And, you know, they all think this is the time, you know, this is the real revolution where you're going to have freedom and democracy and elections. And then um, an even tougher regime comes in and he gets sent back to jail and he's allowed one visitor and he chooses uh, Marjean. And, you know, that's that's a tough scene with the two of them. And, yeah. And then we find out not too long after he's he's killed and everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moments, I think, where it, that's kind of there's that juxtaposition of. I had this great relationship and and then he's dead. We've got the uncle who ends up in, in the hospital and they try to get him a, a passport so that he can get medical treatment in England and that falls through. And then the next scene is, and then we buried him. Right. The, the death of close people to your life is just an everyday occurrence over there. Right. Yeah. Or even neighbors or whatever. There's bombings during the uh, Iran Iraq war. And they say, oh, who who did they bomb? Oh, they bombed this family, this other family. Right. And now they're all gone. Um, and even at the end of the movie, the, the grandmother, uh, the last, you know, we see Marjan leave the airport for the last time. And then she says, oh, and my grandmother died shortly after. But that was sweet because, I mean, the grandma lived a full life. Right. And the last memory we see of Marjan is the memory of her and her grandmother talking. And yeah, the grandma is, is a very... Um, you know, I guess classic character in the old wise woman or man, you know, this in this case, because she's a grandma, a woman. Yeah. Um, but um, as someone who was so close to my grandparents, like that was definitely relatable and how much time you want to spend and how much time uh, you don't get to spend with them because, you know, hey, everyone dies. Everyone dies. That's true. And that's a, a constant reality in this movie that that people are going to die and yet at the same time i mean we're talking about all these sad things and these depressing things but this is a very fun movie in a lot of ways i mean marjan herself as a character even as she's kind of beaten down over the course of life remains an upbeat person a positive person she's always looking for ways to feel free ways to pursue her own individual happiness um, I mean, and especially the early parts of the movie where she's a child, the parts that I was saying earlier that that kind of reminded me a little of Peanuts is she's just this fun kind of almost like a little naive, but just a happy child who sees the world through positive lenses. I mean, did she have to always move the football out of the way when her neighbor tried to kick that, it? That was a little excessive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just... Uh... What I liked about the early stuff, and then again, there's a sequence when she's an adult, is they show her flaws as a human being. You know, they're gonna they're gonna basically bully a kid whose dad was a, a police officer and who killed a lot of communists, and you know, um, she has to be told by God, you know, that, right? Yeah, she does talk to God a lot in this movie. Yeah, that uh, hey, you can't you can't blame the kid for his parents' actions, you know. And then later in the movie, she. Uh, kind of loses her way when she returns to Iran and she just gets a dude arrested just to like, for no real reason. Yeah. Really. I mean, to kind of take the heat off herself because she's worried that she's going to be arrested. Yeah. And uh, grandma comes in and sets her straight. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely not, I mean, even though it's a movie made by this person about her own life, it's not a movie that lets her off the hook or portrays her as this perfect saint or anything like that. She clearly has flaws, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right about that, that sequence where she's a kid, where they decide to bully this, this kid whose father was a policeman, but it's all done in this, is this kind of childlike way. And I love that after she talks to God, the next season, the next scene is that she goes to that kid and she says, 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's not your fault that your dad is a murderer yeah. or something like that, right. which is just a very childlike thing to say. And he and he defends it, too. Like, he only kills communists. Right, so. right, right. And it's it's great to see this very complicated, difficult political situation through the eyes of children and how they view it in this simplistic way. Uh, there's an earlier scene where she says, you know, she's going to be, I don't know, the emperor or something. And here are the rules. And one of them is the old last woman. prophet, man. Right, right. Yeah. She's the last prophet of God. And here's here's how she's going to rule. And one of her rules is, well, old women will never suffer. And the grandma says, well, how is that going to happen? And she just says, well, it won't be allowed. And, you know, that's <laughs> that's the way the kids view these things. Like how? What, well, of course, that's all. That's all we need. Why are people fighting and dying all the time? Just we can't allow that. And uh, she you know that over the course of the movie, she's going to get disillusioned about that. It's kind of funny because when you look at the government and you could say this about any government, they have rules that are just as stupid, but they're just much more cruel. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, and obviously that rule could not ever be enforced, but uh, yeah, I loved the parts. I think I liked the parts of her as a child, maybe more than the second half when she's getting older and she has more of the, the romantic stuff that, like you mentioned, maybe is a little less effective and the kind of hormonal angst as she's a teenager. But I thought this was a very good is a coming of age story. And, and it shows her development very clearly from a young age until she's a young adult. What I did think was effective in that second part is so they send her to Austria because she is clearly about to get kicked out of school in, um, in Iran. And, you know, it's things aren't going to go well for her right, there as a right. free thinker in yeah. Iran. So you think she's going to have this wide open Western style life, right? You know, um, with free thought and expression. And uh, she's got her pretty rough in Austria, too. She gets yeah. kicked out of like all the places that she lives and ends up homeless for a while. And and that's what takes her back to Iran is that she's she wakes up in the hospital one day coughing blood. And she's like, I guess uh, I guess being uh, in a war with my family is better than this, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there is that contrast, too, where she goes from this Islamic Republic and they send her to Vienna. And where does she end up living? Is it some sort of like convent with all these Christian nuns and who are not exactly uh, more tolerant than maybe a little more tolerant? But still, it's 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 from one uh, religious intolerance to another. Right. I also like that they did show the quote unquote underground activities in Iran where people were trying um to find ways to have fun, even though basically everything was outlawed, you know, whether it's right. dancing or wine or this or that. So it's nice to see the uh, human spirit in a lot of these situations. Right. And I think that's the point is that the human spirit comes through regardless. They can make as many laws as they want and threaten people. And yet somehow, somewhere, these people are going to let loose and they're going to have fun and they're going to make these personal connections that have been forbidden. And in this movie, it, fo it focuses a lot of the times on that positivity, on here was a party that we had, here were get-togethers where we all had fun and enjoyed each other's company. Right, and nothing was sugar-coated one way or the other. It's like, this was bad, and this was good, and this is why, and we're not going to put on uh, colored glasses to see it any other type of way. Um, one thing I also wanted to bring up was, we've talked about the look, we've kind of talked about the story and the feel. Uh, I thought the soundtrack the music was very good by yeah. Olivier Bernay. Yeah. Um, kind of really towing the line between French and uh, Middle Eastern music there. Yeah, it's it's all effectively put together and there's a occasional use of uh, period songs. There's a one point where she 
gets really into Iron Maiden and we hear some Iron yeah. Maiden on the soundtrack, which I thought was fun. And that there's a great scene of her going to kind of the black market to buy a cassette and all of the different offers that she gets for whose album she's going to buy. And Iron Maiden is the one that she ends up selecting. Right. Michael Jackson's there and Pink Floyd. And yeah. then she goes for Maiden. Yes, she does, which I think is a, an interesting choice. Um, and then later in the movie, there's that bit where she sings the eye of the tiger in a very, very off key way. Which uh, I had read um, was demanded that she sing it by uh, Marjane Satrapi herself. So make sure you sing this in a very off key. Yeah. And it's kind of it's charming because I think it goes along with her character where she doesn't care that her singing is terrible. She's the kind of person who just has that much enthusiasm for life. And if she's she's just going to do what makes herself feel good, even if it also makes her look ridiculous. Yeah. So. She's working hard, feeling her. I don't know the lyrics. So yeah, I was, the tiger. Really I was trying, trying to there. work, yeah, you, you know, were, like you were... she could feel it getting closer. It's the eye of the tiger. Uh, yeah, I don't know all the so words. I don't either. know it either. But, so. uh, but it's a fun, it's a fun sequence. Um, yeah. And the look, we talked a little bit about it, but I think this, it's a really effective. I mean, if you, if you page yep. through the graphic novel, it looks exactly the same. I know that was a big issue when she was kind of negotiating with uh, Perno to jump on and you know like you said they wanted it live action and then to make this kind of hand-drawn kind of flat style 2d animation even though you know they were using tablets and stuff to animate it right. it was a it was a very difficult process to get that look i i think that looks one of the best things about it as well yeah it looks it looks really really good and it doesn't look like every other animated movie and and like i was saying before i think there's so much in this movie where it's 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 surreal or fantastical. It's it's all filtered through her perspective. And so we are literally seeing things the way she would see them. And I think in a live action movie, it would take you out of it, especially if there's a lot of realism in this stark wartime scenario. But with the animation, it all flows together really well, whether she's talking to God or just talking to her grandma. Right. I'm not a big manga guy, are you? I'm really not, no. Dave, manga? No, not for me. Because I feel like, you know, that was when I was doing the reading on it, you could say that a lot of people said this was manga influence. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I think I can see that. And or, or the way the movie is in, in sort of an anime influence, even though it doesn't look like an anime. But I think that that heightened style of being able to shift back and forth between realism and fantasy and have it all flow together is something that you do see in a lot of anime and a lot of Japanese animated films. Yeah, there's when you can pinpoint a style like you know i remember you and i back in the day we saw a french animated movie the triplets of bellevue right belleville yeah yeah belleville and uh about three old lady triplets right and uh i still remember that style of animation even though i clearly didn't remember the title yeah. but <laughs> it's cool when you can uh when you can do that when you can really hone in on a style that that sticks in your mind yeah absolutely i mean and it, it sort of disappoints me that she uh, never made another movie in this style and maybe it would have not had the same impact if it came around again but it's so distinctive yeah. that um i really like it and the way it's it's almost all in black and white other than the kind of framing story as she's in the airport in paris uh as an adult having left around for the final time and it gives it a, like a sort of timeless quality even though we know exactly what period it takes place in it also i mean i think she talked about how making it black and white makes it less like 
this is a specific sort of other that a, a white audience or any kind of non right. uh, Middle Eastern audience would have distance from it. Right. And there are some color sequences in here in the present. Yes. Right? Yeah. I don't know much about her career. What else, what else should people know about her career? Um, well, we can talk about that in the legacy and, uh, she's, she's kind of shifted from being a, a graphic novelist to being a filmmaker, but really for me, I like as from a comics perspective, Persepolis was the first thing that she did that got like international recognition. I think maybe the first thing she did that was translated into English, you know, that, that was known outside of France and it was a huge sensation. I mean, the graphic novels, again, I was very well aware of those before they decided to make a movie about them. And I think still those books are often because of their, their female perspective and the historical coming of age story. They're one of those graphic novels that a comics fan would say to someone who hasn't read comics before, start with this. It's really accessible. I also love the title Persepolis. Yeah. You know, do you want to talk about that? Do you well, you know? can go ahead and say, well, what do you yeah, like? Yeah. Well, it? cause it's uh Persepolis is like kind of this, um, it was a real city, but this mythical idea of what a Persian city should have been. So you're playing that idea of uh, the crumbling empire, what's going on and all there with like these nice memories that she has of uh, the life that she had at some points in time. Right. And yeah, I mean, everyone has a childhood and hers happened to take place here and you can't divorce one from the other. Everyone has a child. Thank you. Yeah, that was my important observation here. Uh, if you know anyone who hasn't had a childhood, let us know here at Awesome Movie Year, and uh, we'll interview that person. Yeah, that's... Uh, no, but I mean, I, I think that everyone has childhood experiences right. that are colored by what's going on around them, and you can't separate one from the your other. Your environment is a character of your upbringing, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so, and this movie really conveys that very, very well. So uh, did you have any other final observations on Persepolis, uh, what you took away from it? Well, we watched it in the original you know, uh, French-language yes. version. Um, they obviously have uh, other languages that it's been translated into um, with voiceovers. And I kind of want to watch it in English because uh, the uncle that we talked about, Uncle Anoush, played by Iggy Pop in yeah, the English version. Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, strange. Yeah, I mean, this was this was a big deal enough movie that they obviously recruited some famous people to do the dubbed version in English. And I don't know. Like I said, I saw this in the theater, and I definitely saw it in French, so I'm not sure how widely released the English language version was versus the French version, but um, I think you can get them both on home video right now. So uh, a lot of people getting the home videos nowadays, Josh. Well, I mean, I think there are, yeah, well, you get it on DVD. I don't know if this is, if it's streaming, I'm guessing you can probably, if you rent it on streaming, you can get yeah. either version. Send away to the Columbia house. Maybe they'll give you a video yeah. collection. Start for, with a penny. One penny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I, you know, I like, we watched this on DVD and I will argue in favor of physical media. There's a lot more available there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So out of five, uh, what, uh, bombs, corrupt, uh, corrupt regimes. Yeah. What, what do you want to rate this? I give it three corrupt regimes, three Josh. out of five. Yeah. yeah. I, I give it a four out of five. Like I said, I really like this. I remember liking it a lot when I saw it the first time and I just was really impressed with it again. I think it's a great movie. I just, we, we mentioned that Catherine Deneuve plays the mom and we mentioned that her daughter. Yeah. Chiara Mastriani. Yeah. I just wanted to get her name out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. And, and, and Danielle Daria who plays the grandmother has played Catherine Deneuve's mother in a bunch of other French films, I believe, although they're not actually related. So it's a whole kind of generational thing going on. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. 
So we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Persepolis. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our 2007 season, we're talking about our foreign film pick, the animated film Persepolis, written and directed by Marjan Satrapi and Vincent Perrineau. And looking a little at the legacy of this film, uh, you were asking me, Jason, about what has she done after this? Um, and this was really the, the launching point for her career as a filmmaker. Uh, she was known for doing her graphic novels. Um, but following this film, she and Vincent Perrineau co-directed a live action film called Chicken with Plums. That was an adaptation of another one of her graphic novels uh, that was also in French starring Mathieu Amalric, which I remember not being that good. And I think it actually goes back to what I was saying about how in the animation, you can easily and seamlessly shift between the fantasy and the reality and it all works together. And that movie, that live action film has a lot of that, those shifts, but when they do it in live action, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, I guess, I mean, in my mind, you'd need like a Michelle Gondry or something like that yeah. to pull that off. Yeah, I think, um, but I think she's kind of on maybe trajectory to try and at least make that kind of thing. Uh, after Chicken with Plums, which she again co-directed with Vincent Perrineau, she started working on her own and directed The Voices starring Ryan Reynolds which is a very strange film. Have you seen that movie, Dave? No, I haven't either. Uh, it is a movie about a guy who is uh, hears his cat and his dog talking to him and telling him to kill people. Well, now I know why you asked me. That sounds like something I would like. Yeah. <laughs> something you relate to, Dave? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a weird movie. Um, and it's, it's played, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is obviously a guy who does a lot of kind of snarky comedy stuff, and it's played with that snarky comedy element and then it gets very dark because he does in fact kill a bunch of people but spoiler alert uh, yeah another another movie that that shifts back and forth between reality and fantasy and and surrealness are the animals in this real animals or are they um you know some type of uh artistic interpretation of animals uh, no i mean it's a live action movie and the animals are real i think they have like cgi moving mouths it's been a little while since i saw it um it was again a movie that i feel like didn't quite work but you can see how she's trying to capture some of those qualities of graphic novels uh, in film. And it was interesting to me to see her next project, which is supposed to be released next year, is a biopic about Marie Curie starring Rosamund Pike, which sounds like a very straightforward and perhaps dull project for her to take on. Well, that sounds like a remedy for going off in the... Don't leave me alone. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look forward to that film. <laughs> next year um other legacy stuff you mentioned the the fact that it was banned or censored in a bunch of other i countries. found that interesting iran it was obviously censored or abandoned they finally let it play but they cut six scenes because of sexual content and in my mind i'm racking my brain and i, I don't remember six scenes of sexual content yeah, in there, like I don't two know about, or three right yeah i mean there may be i mean there may even be small things like when she talks about her grandmother putting bra. jasmine in her bra and you yeah. see the grandmother taking her bra off, you know, even though that's not sexualized at all. So, yeah. So, uh, it was banned there it was the Bangkok, uh, film festival. It was supposed to play. And then the Iranian government spoke to the Thai government and they, they cut it. Although they said this film has artistic merit, but there's, you know, other factors at play here. Yeah. My favorite though, was, um, a Tunisian television station, Nesma TV, the owner, Nabil Kurai, um, he played this movie and it caused a huge protest and an uproar. And 
he was arrested and everyone thought he was going to get like a real stiff penalty and maybe a jail sentence. And they, they like, just pay us $1,700 and we'll let you go. And uh, that's what happened. Well, that's, so. that's good because uh, we don't want to see people get arrested and jailed for showing films. I mean, that sounds like a book that maybe uh, Satrapi would write. So Yeah, maybe. And so, yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, Iran has a it's weird. Iran has a long history of of great filmmakers. I mean, Abbas Kiarostami, yeah. Mohsen Makhmalbaf and all these people and uh, Jafar Panahi, who's currently under house arrest in Iran and is banned from making films for 20 years and has been smuggling out these films that he made right. so that they can play at international film festivals. Do you have a favorite Iranian film that you've seen? Um, I mean, well, I don't know if it would count. Uh, Abbas Kiarostami's um, uh, certified copy, which is, I mean, he's Iranian. That movie is in French and English with it stars Julia Pinoche, but that is just an amazing, amazing film. As I, I would, we, might do a best of the decades somewhere down the road. Uh, and in looking back at the movies of this decade recently, I had that as probably my number two movie of the decade. It's just mm. a fantastic movie. Um, do you have a favorite? Iranian I do. Movie? Uh, what, was it children of God, children of God? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. Uh, it's about a little boy who um, has a very uh, acute talent for being long, long distance runner. Uh -huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. I'm not familiar that? with this. Film. And it's, um, you know, it's like one of those things where like the village realizes he has a talent, but he's poor and like they all kind of try to help him reach his uh, potential. Do you, are you looking it up, Dave? Is it Children of Heaven? Children of Heaven. There you go. I was close. So Yeah, yeah. God in Heaven. It's yeah. all the same. So uh, it was probably, probably City of God, Children of Heaven. Yeah, it all, those it all runs together. No, Children of Heaven. Um, good good, good movie worth checking out. Uh, yeah, I'll have to, I'm not familiar with that, so I will have to check that out. Who directed that, Dave? That was uh, Majid Majidi. Majidi. All right. Yeah. There we go. All right. Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, uh, the other thing I would think of is uh, Jafar Panahi. If you want to talk about a movie that actually is in Iran, his movie Offside, which is about female soccer fans trying to get into the all male uh, soccer stadium in order to see uh, a game being played. And I think that actually has some similarities with, Persep with Persepolis, where it's about trying to have fun and get some enjoyment right. under this horrible regime. Um, yeah, so amazing, amazing films uh, from Iran. And uh, yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention legacy-wise is, you know, this movie was nominated for a Best Animated Feature Oscar, although it didn't win. And I feel like now, going forward in that category, even though, of course, Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks always get nominated, there's usually at least one or two of these smaller level, mm -hmm. hand-drawn 2D movies right. that get in that category. And, and this was the first nominee since 2005 of that traditional animation style, Howl's Moving Castle. Do you ever see that movie? Uh, I haven't. That's a Miyazaki. We were talking about anime that is right yeah. in there. And uh, Miyazaki is someone who definitely mixes realism and surrealism very Freely. I will say this part of the legacy, uh, speaking of hand-drawn animation, it was parodied on The Simpsons. Oh, was Persepolis, it? yeah. Oh, nice. I didn't, I missed that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie did make a pop culture impact, uh, even if Jason Harris didn't hear about it when it came out. I feel like at the time, if I remember correctly, like every biggest snubs of the Oscars thing was about this not getting nominated for best uh, foreign. Right. Yeah, yeah, it um, it was. I forgot to mention this earlier, but it was nominated for the best foreign language Golden Globe. Right, right. But it lost to uh, the Diving Bell at the Butterfly, which is a very good movie. Listen, 
perhaps I was on one of my many worldly adventures. That's true. Maybe if you were at a remote like monastery in Tibet and you weren't hearing movie news. Maybe I was in a country where it was banned at the time. Who's to say? Who's to say? The important thing is that you caught up with it now and we talk about it on this podcast. We learn so much about Jason on this show. We do. I try to be an open book for the listeners. I'm honest about it. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes... Last uh, last episode was about exposing the wounds. This one's about healing. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so that's Persepolis, and that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can check us out on social media. We are on social media because we're with the trends. Uh, AwesomeMovieYear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. And you can check Jason out on social media too. Yeah, I'm on the social media because I'm with the trends. Jason Harris comedy or J Harris comedy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and go for Jason.com on the website. Web. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Twitter at signal bleed on Facebook at Josh bell hates everything. And on the worldwide web at Josh bell hates everything.com and listen to our awesome producer, David Rosen's podcast, piecing it together, which you can find wherever you're listening to this podcast. And since you guys both got to say worldwide web, I'm going to say worldwide web. You can find me on the worldwide web, piecingpod.com and on social media at piecingpod. So what do we have next time, Jason? Well, Josh, you came with such heat with your personal pick on this season that I, uh, I have a lot to live up to. And I think I'm gonna, because I'm picking uh, a film that broke out was a major pop cultural success and still the ramifications are felt today. I'm talking about Juno, everybody. The story of a young lady and her fetus. <laughs> that is one way to describe it. So tune in next time for Juno. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. 